I'm in a series of sermons called the Red Letter Series. And the red letters in the New Testament are the words that Jesus spoke. If you see that and you've ever wondered what that is, those are the words of Jesus, those red letter edition Bibles. And we're kind of focusing on those words because we think they're so important and that's what this series is about. We come to some words of Jesus that are incredible today. As a matter of fact, the church throughout history has so uh, uh, thought this was so important, these words that Jesus has spoken, that they've, they've called this, it's not in the Bible, but it's been termed by the church, the Great Commission. And most people agree, pastors, scholars through the years, that this is the, the, the most important words of Jesus that speak the direction that the church should go. The Great Commission. So that's what we're on today. And I've subtitled it, Who's in Charge? Matthew 28 is the passage, verse 18 through 20. If you want to move there with your Bible, you can read. We'll have it on the screen for you as, as well. But I said who's in charge because it's important to know where real authority lies. And uh, the real authority and power are, 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 it's so important, let me read it. It's so important to know where the real authority and power are in the workplace, the church the world, or even the home. I love that story about Alex and Lisa Escara. When Lisa went on a women's retreat, Danielle, their daughter, was just a little girl, and um, she was having a little bit of differences with her dad when, when mom was gone, and she stood up to him and said, Mom leaves and you think you're in charge. <laughs> I just love that story. Hey, I am in charge in our family because Karen said I could be, all right? But it's important to know where real authority lies. So let's pray and we're going to read about who has all authority here in just a moment. Jesus, oh, thank you for saying these words and not leaving us um, adrift. You gave your church a focus, Lord. And today, as we peer into these words and this truth, I pray that your Holy Spirit would magnify, Lord, uh, the, the, the reality of what you want us to do would help us to see it in such a way that we would embrace it as individuals and collectively. Speak, Holy Spirit, into our hearts and lives today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. First thought from the Great Commission is we must understand that Jesus has all authority. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So listen to this. If that's true, then your boss isn't really completely in charge. Then the president of this nation isn't really in charge. China, as strong as they're growing, they're not really in charge. Who's in charge? This will, Now, I believe we know, that, and we would say, each of us, that Jesus has all authority. But I don't think we think that way enough. See, we wouldn't be so afraid of all the other elements if we knew who was in charge. I remember talking to a church in Seattle and they were saying we can't get our permits because the, 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 the city government is blocking everything. And, and I gave them a word about who was in charge and that Jesus was gonna do it. And it was, it, was, it was a word that came from the Lord, a word of prophecy, and it came true. The Lord still works in gifts today. And, but here's the deal. Jesus is in charge and control of everything. You say, why doesn't he step in when things are bad? Well, he's got reason. He's got purposes. Why does he allow nations and people to act uh, poorly and, and wickedly? Because he's patient, wanting all people to come to him before the end, of the end of time comes. But he is in charge. I think of Alexander Haig. Do you know that name? Some of you remember when President Reagan was shot 
by John Hinckley on March 30th, 1981. The president was unconscious for a time. And Alexander Haig, the Secretary of State, famously declared on television, I am in control here. But he wasn't. As a matter of fact, if you looked at the Constitution, it would tell you the Secretary of State was fourth in line. And there are all kinds of people all across this world that want to tell us they're in charge and make us feel that they're the real authorities. But, but the supreme ultimate authority that has everything in his hands is Jesus Christ. Never ever forget that about your life, about the nation, about the world. Jesus is completely in charge. And at any moment when he speaks, things happen. Someday he'll come back to this earth and he'll rescue us all in this thing that's called the rapture. And things will change and he'll set his foot down on Mount Olives and he'll be in charge in every way. But here's the deal, he's in charge now. He's just waiting for the right time when the Father speaks. No one can trump Jesus. He carries all authority. Here's a reminder, Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. I can think of a man who knew that Jesus was in charge and he seemed to carry it all through his life. His name was David Wilkerson and he died about 10 days ago in a car crash. 79 years old. I spoke a few weeks ago about his life and how God moved him to go to New York City. Do you remember that story about uh, the TV that he gave away and he started to pray and the Lord spoke to him and said to go as he looked at a magazine and he went and there he found the crips and the bloods and, and, and the most wicked, vile young people and gangs there in New York City. And the Lord told him to minister to those young men. There was one time when he stood before a gang leader and the gang leader pulled out a knife and stuck it to Wilkerson's throat, just a young preacher. and said, you say one more word, preacher, and I'll cut you into a thousand pieces. And David Wilkerson who knew, who had all authority, knew that 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 guy didn't have the authority to cut his throat unless Jesus allowed him to do it. David said this, you cut me into a thousand pieces and every piece will still cry out, Jesus loves you. David Wilkerson knew who had all authority. As a matter of fact, that young man stepped back. His name was Nicky Cruz, a gang leader. He stepped back and he said he thought to himself, this preacher's crazy. Now, this movie was already in progress. It's called A Thousand Pieces. It'll be in theaters sometime in the next year. David Wilkerson died just about 10 days ago. But Nikki's going to tell the story about how, how his life was changed because this preacher came knowing who had authority and brought the love of Jesus into his life. David Wilkerson's life has become a pretty big deal in, in, as far as impact goes because 24,000 people a day are now in Teen Challenge Centers being delivered from drugs and alcohol. That's a ministry that David started with the gangs in New York City, Teen Challenge. Several hundred thousand people have gone through and been delivered of drugs and alcohol and found Jesus Christ. And did you know Teen Challenge has the highest deliverance rate of any kind of alcohol uh, recovery in in all of America with over 85% staying clean? You know, you get Jesus in your heart. Yeah, let's thank the Lord for that. (laughs) 
Here's why David knows who has all authority. Who can help you get off those drugs? It's Jesus when he's in your heart. I wish more of us would live like David did. Knowing that we don't have to be afraid to answer the call of God because nobody can punch our ticket till Jesus says it's time. 1 John 4, 4, my dear children, you belong to God and have defeated them because God's spirit who is in you is greater than the devil who is in the world. Jesus is the one who carries all authority. And Jesus started the great commission out with those words because he wants us to remember who really has power and who's really in charge. Second thought, Jesus wanted us to know. He said that you're to make disciples. That's what we're supposed to do. Verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All nations. Wow, that's a pretty big call. Now, this was spoken to the apostles. But it's the focus of the church that they were beginning. The apostles, the disciples have all passed away now. But this commission doesn't pass away. It's for all of us to follow. And he said, make disciples of all nations. Acts 1.8 gives a little more focus <clears throat> towards this principle. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. <clears throat> and you you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Everywhere. That's our emphasis. Take the gospel, take this message everywhere, not just in our own little corner. Now let me tell you about our Jerusalem, our Judea, and our Samaria. We're called to take it to the uttermost parts of the earth, one of the versions of the Bible says. First of all, let's talk about Jerusalem. That's Tualatin for us, right? We're to take the gospel. Let's talk about the vision of this church and what we're about the focus here. Now you're going to hear, what is this church all about? You're going to hear it here in the next five minutes. We're a church that has about 1,800 people that call this home. We don't get them all at church at the same time, but about 1,800 people say that they attend Horizon Community Church. We have schools that have about 500 kids in, in the schools and their families. And this is what that means. Already, the Lord has given us impact and influence with thousands in our family, in our ministry, right? Thousands. With the 1,800 and the over 1,200 in the school, somewhere between three and 4,000 are, are part of the families that we minister to <clears throat> at Horizon. Thank God for what he's done in the last few years, for the thousands that have come to Jesus, for the impact because of your lives and your giving. But we're not supposed to stop here. We're supposed to go forward and do more, Right? We're supposed to reach more. The schools are going to grow. The church is going to grow. Our goal is to win people to Christ and to disciple them. You know, we allow unbelievers to come into the school, but what we have found is that they get saved. We don't want to be afraid of unbelievers because the Bible says whosoever will may come. Hey, there's a code of conduct, and they they have to be willing to to know that we expect them to abide by that Christian's code of conduct and be willing and sign on the line. But hey, we want to help people come to Jesus, and we've seen hundreds come to Jesus 
through the grade school, junior high, and elementary families coming to Jesus because kids' lives are being changed and mom and dad's life becomes changed as well. Look at this picture that was in the Wilsonville Spokesman um, <clears throat> just recently. That's George Crace, our founding principal for the high school, and Bill Smethurst. And I love it when I see these kinds of things in the paper. Bill has been a principal at Newburgh High School where uh, he was an award-winning national principal, but he's been a man of God and mature. And George um, has been a person that has loved kids so well in our community for years and brought all of his heart, his Christian heart to bear by giving his efforts here at the high school. And, and, and they were talking about great leadership and a transfer of leadership in the spokesman as, as George has stepped back to be our vice principal and is now working with Total Development Center to reach out to kids in sports so that they might know Christ. Bill is stepping forward to be our principal. And here's what Bill said in the paper. He's talking about our schools and he says, it's a place where staff and students are expected to embrace their faith. Isn't that cool? That when you come to this school and when teachers are here, that it's not a problem to embrace your faith. It is a problem to be public with your faith in the high schools that are, that are public, right? You can't do it. They don't like it, especially when it's Jesus stuff. But it's not a problem at our schools. Isn't it cool that we can lift up Jesus wholeheartedly and talk about the Bible? And then Bill said there's a difference uh, between the public schools and this school because Jesus cannot be expressed. His name can't even be spoken in a positive way in the public high schools, but we can speak it here. And we have a place where students come, believers and unbelievers alike, and they hear about the Bible, and they hear about Jesus, and their lives are being impacted, and they're being discipled. And we have a church where you can come to and hear the word of God, and it's expressed freely, and you can be involved in the ministries, and we are reaching to Walton, the southwest Portland area. There are over 20 cities that we draw people from in this church and in our schools. Isn't that cool what the Lord's doing? And we think the Lord is saying that he wants to increase and do even greater things in the future so that Jesus may be known and the Bible might be taught. Let me show you where else we're going. One of the things we have in, uh, uh, um, we're having some space issues with our, with our schools and with our church. Here, here's the next building that we hope the Lord will help us with. First of all, this is, this is our master plan. Now, I don't know if all this will happen in my, my lifetime and your lifetime, but think of college campuses across uh, the United States. You know, they start on big pieces of property and they're built out through the years. And, 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 and we, we, like to work like, uh, we, we, we like to work like Jesus isn't coming in our lifetime and, and live like he's coming tomorrow. That's what, we, that's what we emphasize around here. And so there, there's a master plan that we ask the master to help us with. This is the current building that we're in. This is the building that I'm gonna be talking to you about here in the next few minutes as we did a survey among our staff and um, pastors and, and, and ministry leaders and the schools. The, this is what was identified that we need as we move to the future. We need a gymnasium that, that, that is bigger because we have several schools that this is not quite enough space, even with the Saggart uh, gym that we have, not enough space. We have a, a state basketball championship team, two years running now. We, we don't have enough space. And then we have PEs and all these things moving and ministries. We can't even get in here during the day because the schools are using it and that's awesome. We like it to be used. But did you know our youth group doesn't have adequate space on Sunday morning on this site? In this next building, these things are being addressed. And there were three things we need. All of the ministries identified that we need this kind of facility that I'm showing you about as our next space um, uh, addition. 
And, and the third thing was we want to reach out to kids in our community, um, latchkey sort of situations uh, that don't know Jesus Christ, and we don't have enough space to do that. That's what this next facility would do. Now, I'm going to show you two phases of the one facility that we're looking at in the future. This is a gym that would seat 1,500. It has locker rooms that would be here and above would be a training center. If you can see there, there's a stage or an alcove that would be used on Sunday mornings or weekends or when the space is open for ministry settings as well. And then look at addition two. Both of these would cost um, in excess of $2 million. The second phase is a youth center where uh, there would be places for youth to hang out. It would also uh, be a commons area. There'd be games area, uh, computers, that sort of thing that would be interactive. But there'd also be a performing arts venue where the youth would use it. We could use it for community events. We could even use it for weddings, that sort of thing. Uh, but the school could use it for theater situations. Now, uh, uh, performing arts, I should say. So that venue, these would cover both those things. Now let's move to the next picture. Here's what it would look like from the Norwood side and, and, uh, of the gymnasium when both phases are built. And here's what it would look like. If you notice, it's identical to the front of this building. Eventually, if you see the angles of the sidewalk, there's three. In front of each angle is a building that looks identical to this one with a large eyebrow in front of it for people to stand um, under because of rain. Huh, well, interesting. <clears throat> so we could cover people a little bit more around here. We're going to cover them every way. Now, this is just a building. Buildings, you know, I was reading this week where Jesus uh, was hearing the disciples talk about the temples and he said they're all going to fall. All these buildings are going down. Buildings don't get saved. But they call them facilities. Do you, do you know why they call them facilities? Because they facilitate something. What would they be facilitating here? All of it would be facilitating ministry. Now, we're not going to come to you for a campaign on this building. We just don't feel that it's right. At least right now, we don't feel that it's right. Um, the Lord has called us to do something else. We can't afford this. It's millions of dollars, but we have a need. And um, we're going to ask you to do this. Would you pray that the Lord would help us with this? Would you pray that he would send funds in some way to get this done in the next couple of years? You say, that fast? Listen, he's not limited in his resources. One or two people could step up and make this happen for ministry to flow throughout the Southwest Portland area in these areas. So I'm just asking you to pray. Since we can't afford it and we don't have millions, here's what we're going to do. And I'll speak more about it in a few minutes, but let me highlight it now. We're going to build a home for girls that are at high risk of being sexually trafficked in Cambodia. We're going to raise $100,000. This is what I feel like the Lord's saying. You take care of my kids across the world and I'll take care of you here in Tualatin. So the seed we're going to plant is in Cambodia for some young girls who can't help themselves. And then we're going to say, God, we're taking care of your work there. Would you take care of your work here in Tualatin? And I believe that he's going to help us. And so that's part of what's coming in the future. And I'm asking you, would you begin to pray? Prayer moves the hand of God and ask God if it be his will that he would bring this forth for ministry here among us. Now let's look at Judea, Samaria, Southwest Portland and suburbs and what we're doing. We're talking about our city, Portland. We're talking about Oregon. We're talking about America. And we're talking about the world. How is our church reaching? Beyond Victory is Al Egg. He's the chaplain of the Portland Trailblazers. We provide some support for him monthly. All these ministries, Bridgetown, they minister to the poor and unfortunate downtown. We're supporting them. Um, we're supporting uh, that ministry monthly, but we're also sending teams down there. 
to help from time to time. Campus Crusade for Christ, we're supporting uh, people who are involved in that way in our campuses uh, across uh, our, our state and the nation. Five Rock Ranch, look at all these. I'll highlight a, a few here. Luke Reed, Resound Church, we've given thousands to Luke and we're supporting him monthly um, over in the Hillsborough area where he started <clears throat> to reach a few hundred. We're not just concerned about ourselves, we're helping other people. Uh, then Mark Seeger, who's at Portico, we're helping him in a significant way with monthly support. Took an offering of $6,000 for him when he was here with us about seven months ago. We want to reach Portland. Paul Gibbs, who started at the PSU uh, campus, did you know we've given $18,000 in the last three years from this church to that ministry? All these ministries we've helped in the last 18 months in a significant way. And if you see that we provide scholarships for those who can't afford to come to our school, we're looking for support to try to help them uh, because that's ministry and that's missions too. God cares about kids who can't afford things here. We're not a school that's just for the elite. It's not part of our vision at all. It's for everybody. And, and, and then you see FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We love that ministry. They're doing such a great job on our, on our, on our secular campuses and public schools. We're helping them, Horizon in the Neighborhood. We're giving thousands and reaching out in our, our neighborhood. Uh, actually, we're looking for four outreaches annually that we're planning to go into our neighborhoods as a corporate body and minister. Then you look at this, Teen Reach with Tim and Serena Howe. They're, they're reaching out in camps here in Sherwood, but also across Oregon, now moving across the nation. That ministry was birthed out of this church because Royal Family Kids Camps are stopped and the kids don't have anywhere to go after 12. Tim and Serena stepped up. Many of you have stepped up. Now we're ministering across the nation to kids from Royal Family Kids Camp who get to go into a high school camp that continues to minister to them and they're not left alone. We're helping with Youth Alive across Oregon in, in public school campus ministry. We're helping with Teen Challenge in downtown Portland. Actually, uh, I, we, we've sewn into a lot of Teen Challenges throughout our state and, and, uh, and beyond in the past years. We're on OSU and we're at PSU and, and we're helping our district in many ways. Let's move to the next one. As we look at America, Mike DeVito, the National Network of Youth Ministries, we support him. He's pulling pastors together to focus together on prayer and reach their cities together all across the nation. Radical Reality, Donnie Moores and Assemblies. Listen, we're supporting every one of these people I'm showing you significantly monthly through missions. When we come to you in October, uh, what you need to know is we're raising, in the last 10 years, we're raising somewhere between two hundred and eighty dollars and $400,000 a year every year. And we've done this for about 15 years, really. Now, that's millions that have come out of this church. And we want to give more than just lip service to these things. Uh, we want to do more than just volunteer for a day or two. We're, we're changing our lifestyles. To, to, you know what I mean by that? This is a church that changes their lifestyles to touch people across the world. We don't have as much money in our income monthly because we choose not to. We choose to live with less so other people can be reached and have more because it's part of the plan of Jesus Christ to reach out. Well, you can see that Dick Foth and Mark Powers are reaching out to politicians in D.C., but not only there, to, to, to princes and kings across the world in different nations. And, and, and you can see these other ministries given to. Now go to the, I'll move quickly, go to the international. We're, we're helping with the Stop Child Trafficking Now and, and, and Assist International that's, that gives medical equipment and builds hospital rooms that, that are, are unique and distinct that other nations can't afford. We're helping Assist International put equipment into those hospitals. There's Dave Reaver who's in Vietnam and, and, and there's, uh, there's 
Curtis Kluwet in Spain that we've helped in the last few years. And, and, and so as you look at all these, I'll try to move quick, and you see China and Africa and Guyana and Chile, uh, all across this world, Poland, we are ministering out. You, you can see that we're in Cambodia, which I'll talk about in a minute, and Mozambique and Madagascar and Slovakia and Portugal and the Solomon Islands and Mexico and the Asia Pacific. We're everywhere. We believe that God is going to use us to change the world. Okay, we can be done with that there now. I'm headed to Haiti a little later this year to see how we can help there for some relief because they're, they're not out of the woods by any, by any means. We want to be a church that fulfills the Great Commission. Judea, Samaria, all across the earth. Now here's something I want to talk to you about the future for just a moment. Where is this church going in the next decade? Here's one of the areas we're going. We're going to go into a significant way into Cambodia. Although we'll continue to reach across the world, I believe God is calling us to a sustained and intense effort for the next 10 years towards Cambodia. We've been there with medical teams. We've built churches there already. We have missionaries that are unbelievable that we're working with there. And I was just there last week. These are the children from the house called Remember New. These little girls that Pastor John and I have around us in this picture are girls that were rescued from the streets. They did not go into prostitution because we and others said we'll sponsor children, we'll build homes so that you can take kids that are the most vulnerable. Now, most of these girls, here's their life. Their mother died. Their dad disappeared. They're four and five years old. They're the most vulnerable to be taken into that trafficking. And, and listen, there are little girls from four years old that we saw there that are placed into prostitution. As a matter of fact, the biggest perverts in America travel to this corner of the world and others in Asia so that they can get their, 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 their wickedness at, at a very cheap price and not pay the price by going to jail here in America. Some of these little girls, now it's more common that they would go into prostitution at 10 and 11 years old. Can you imagine a 10-year-old having to turn 20 tricks a day? Now you think about that. You think you have a rough life. And you wonder, why would God call us to reach out to Cambodia? Because we're doing pretty well here. Because we're covered pretty well, and we're blessed pretty well here. Go on to the next picture, and let's just look through at these little girls. These are little girls that most of them could have found their way there, but they were taken, the most vulnerable, and placed in this home where they have a, a Cambodian house mom who watches over them and teaches them the word of God and protects and loves them. They have people who are sponsoring them and a house that they can sleep in. Stop right there for just a moment. This little girl talked to Pastor John and she told him her story. Her mother died at childbirth. Her daddy was completely out of the picture. And she talked for about five minutes or so to Pastor John and he thought for sure that, that there was some kind of ask for that, that, that she would give him something at the end. Because if you're in other nations, poor children will usually come up to you and, and you can't blame them, but they'll, they, you know, they want something. But this little girl didn't want anything. She came to the end of her talk with Pastor John and she said this, I just, I'm sorry that I took all that time to tell you my story, but I've never told my story to anyone before. Thank you for listening. That's all she wanted was an ear. That's all she wanted was someone who, who would listen. And, and she's been protected. And we can help 
Kids like her. Now go to the next pictures here and let's move through. That's Carl who has seven homes for Remember New that he's built throughout uh, Asia and across the world. And here's some more young ladies that are just precious. I, I was walking down the mall and Carl took them to buy ice cream and these little girls, four and five years old, just took my hands. I didn't reach to them. They just grabbed my hand and we're walking down the mall and they are just precious. And here's the home that they've, they have provided. And to them, it's a huge deal. Now, stop right there. We're not gonna just talk. I'll tell you what I'm tired of. <clears throat> I might have an attitude here, but I'm, I'm human too, okay? I'm tired of young people telling me about volunteering and how they wanna reach the world and they don't change their lifestyle. I'm tired of it. Put your money where your mouth is. Change your lifestyle. If, is your lifestyle changed so you can reach across the world? If it hasn't, then change it. And that's what we're gonna ask you to do in the coming months and years. I'm also tired of old people who never think of this, never think about giving or going because we, we're, we're just, you, you know, yuppies and, and, and uh, boomers who think about ourselves and our lives. So here we are as a church saying, sustained effort, let's do something. Okay, that, was that an attitude? It might have been a little bit, but forgive me, okay? This is land that we've identified in the area called Takayo. And um, it's out in the country in Cambodia, but the land is cheaper, and we needed land where there was water, where there could be electricity, where there was a church nearby, and where there was a school where the word of God was, God was taught. We found this land, incredibly, um, right next to a church, 150 meters from electricity, near a water source where wells could go down deep and cover the kids, and we can buy 10 acres in this area. I'm talking about Horizon. We can buy 10 acres for $25,000. And we can provide a place that will eventually house up to three homes with 60 in each home. And what we want to do is buy the land and build a home, the first home on this property, and sponsor all 60 girls in the first house. Now that's what we'd like to see in the next year. So I'm going to try, we're going to try, we're asking the Lord to help us to raise $100,000 this year so this can happen. This is how we're going to sow. We have needs here. To minister to people, you say, well, those needs are more important. Well, let me ask you a question. Who does God care more about? Those little girls who are on the street and alone across the world in countries that are third world countries? Or does he care more about the 11-year-old here in Tualatin who's been sexually abused by her stepfather? Who's brokenhearted and suicidal? Who's he care more about? Who has an eating disorder? Who's Jesus care more about? Here's the deal. He cares about all of them, doesn't he? Is one soul more important than another? No, that's why he said Judea, Samaria, and uttermost parts of the earth. Every area we're trying to reach. We want to reach people here. We want to see them saved. We want to reach people there. We want to see them saved. But we're asking God to have us, help us have that broad reach. Now, the, the little guy there is the pastor who lives right next door to that property. And... Um, Let's, let's just move forward. <clears throat> he, would, he would become the pastor. They live uh, the, the, out in that area. It's pretty primitive uh, lifestyle that many of them live. Move forward. This is a common house out there with, with the uh, grass walls. Don't move too fast. And, and, and this is a church that Horizon built. You built that by giving a few years ago. And those are people that are coming to the church. All these churches uh, that we're building and they're there or have to be in a two-mile walking distance for people in those areas because most of them don't have transportation. I'm preaching in one of the churches we built there 
in this, in, in, in this uh, picture. And then the next picture, that's a preschool in one of the churches that we built. And, and so there's church there during the week, but they, don't, they get free preschool where they hear about Jesus and people are coming to Jesus in the droves there. Uh, hold it right there on that picture and I'll talk about that in just a moment. These missionaries that are in Cambodia, AG missionaries, are working with all denominations and they're just incredible. Ken Huff and a fellow we met named Darth, both of them, you'll see them in the next couple years as they come through for missions convention. Um, but they're just doing great, great works. Uh, in 95, 1995, when Ken Huff started in Cambodia, or around that time, uh, there were 11 AG churches, Assembly of God churches in Cambodia. Today, since 1995, there are 148 churches. Uh, they are not sure that the window will always stay open to outside ministry in Cambodia. But let me tell you, you say, why Cambodia? Uh, there, there are a lot of places that we could minister where there are poor people that need help. But I'm gonna show you how the Lord really moved my heart. This is the killing fields. Now, you may not know it, but Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge, Americans don't all understand this. I'm not sure I completely understand it. But I know this, that somewhere around two million people were killed because they were Christian, Catholic, educated, and for ridiculous reasons, uh, some of them uh, weren't any of those things, but were still just killed. Two million of their family members snatched off the street, beheaded, hacked to death, killed, all because of a communist, uh, oppressive government that wanted to do their own thing. Now go back to the picture, bro. Go back. No, nope, no, nope, the one before, right there. That's, that's one of the killing fields, and that's a bone. They just took them out to mass graves. And as it rains through the years, you're walking across this area in the killing field and there are bones coming up. There were babies. And I don't want to be too gross, but I'm trying to tell you something here that there was a tree where they would just slam babies against a tree because they didn't, want to, um, they, they didn't want to waste bullets on them and ammunition. And in this one area, 15,000 people died and that's clothes that are coming up on the right side. And go to the next pictures now and... and, and over two million were killed. That's some of the skulls that are, that are placed nearby there. Keep moving. So, so here's why Cambodia. They, they have trouble making emotional connections. Think of it now. The guy that was part of the Khmer Rouge, one of the leading men after Vietnam moved out of the country, now the Khmer Rouge, some of their leadership, moved into main uh, government positions now. No real justice has ever been done, even politically, but there's peace now, and they're allowing ministries to come in for some reason. There's a window. Can you imagine walking around with people in the same country where 30 years ago there were people, some of the same people that hacked your family to death? They're interdispersed, walking with one another. All of them sorry that it happened. Everyone just choosing to move on but they have trouble making emotional connection even with family members. This is my assessment. Because life doesn't mean as much there as it means here. It hasn't been precious. It's been, they've been spat upon. They've been abused. They've been killed. And I believe that God is saying to Horizon, go to Cambodia. Because he's tired of what's happening to the little girls. Because he remembers the great oppression that they were under. And he wants some people who know not of these things to turn their hearts and be his hands and his feet in this place. So that's part of our future. That's where we're going. You're gonna hear about it. We're gonna ask you to even consider changing your lifestyle so we can help reach them in a more significant way. 
And when I say sustained effort, here's, it's kind of wild. And I, you know, I, I need to get approval for these things. I can't just speak and everything happens around here. We have leaders that uh, I'm accountable to and, and, and we're in prayer with. But I'd like to see us plant 10 churches in the next 10 years in Cambodia. I'd like us to send two full-time missionaries who give their lives in Cambodia, 10 part-time missionaries who give a year or two. I'd like to see us build this home, sponsor those 60 girls. I'd like to see us help build a teen challenge center so girls can be rescued off the street. We have a, a one for boys, but not for girls. I'd like to see us sow a million dollars into Cambodia in the next 10 years. I'd like to see our medical teams, and for those of you who are on that team, by the way, Ken Huff said that you guys are the best medical team they've ever had through. When we were there in Takayo, some of the, the old women were saying to us, we need you to come and pull our teeth because their teeth are hurting and they don't have any means. But when we go, we work with the churches with those medical teams, and they're going in January again. You might want to hook up with that team. I'd like us to send youth teams in there from now on, in the next 10 years, I'd like to see an adult team every, every year and, and, a, and a youth team going in every two years to Cambodia. And I'd like to see us make a significant difference while the window is open. I feel God is calling us. Will we answer the call? Whew, pretty intense, huh? Let me share with you some other stuff that we're thinking as we look at our future and we're trying to fulfill the Great Commission. Now again, I'm asking you to pray about this, but we're considering this across the Portland area. Multi-site churches. All horizon. And here's how it works. Sites that are 15 to 30 minutes from the mother church, and that would be this church, and all over the southwest Portland area. And a multi-site church, there's live worship and ministry to children at each site. The preaching and teaching is done by video. It would be this sermon, or one like it, that you're hearing this morning. And it's done from the main campus, the campus pastors are always live on location when it comes to math, multi-site. And they'll preach live once a month. Some of them could be already established churches who would join with us to accomplish this. And I'll tell you, there's interest. There's a response in altar time that would be done live uh, by the campus pastor after the sermon. And this is what it would mean. Eventually, there'd be multiple Horizon Community churches all throughout the Portland area. This is what we're considering, and I'm asking you to pray. <clears throat> this strategy is currently being employed with great success all over America. And I'm asking you to pray that the Lord would further reveal His, uh, His will concerning video venues or multi-site strategy. We're praying with the elders. We're talking it through. And listen, I am more excited about ministry than I have ever been. I'm more excited about being at Horizon and what our next decade holds than I've ever been. We are not going to sit around. We are going to follow Jesus. We're going to move forward and we're going to see thousands more come to Christ. We're going to see missionaries go out. We are going to be part of the world being changed because Jesus Christ comes in his, with his love, with our dollars and with our lives, we will move forward. Here's another thing we're considering I'd like you to pray about. You know, we've tried Hispanic ministry here and we've had limited success. And we have wonderful Hispanic people. Did you know that there are over 4,800 Hispanics alone in Tualatin? Just the city of Tualatin. There's no really significant Pentecostal work around us that's, that's a Hispanic church. Well, we're going to do a ministry in August where we're going to work with an organization that has done this in Portland. They drew 500 people out when they did it in Portland. And we're going to do this in Tualatin, probably on our Saggart site. Because that's an area 
that's close to the apartment dwelling where there's where so many Hispanics. And from, from there, we'll do a nice dinner and a carnival type thing with an atmosphere, but we'll give shoes to children and backpacks to children with supplies for school that are Hispanic children in our area. When they did this in Portland, they didn't give backpacks, but they gave shoes. 600 Hispanic people came out. We think hundreds will come to this in Tualatin. We're going to ask you to volunteer to go to the apartments and ask them to come and give flyers. And, and we're all going to be involved in this. But now here's what we're thinking. We know we're going to do that. But we're thinking about starting a Hispanic church out of that event in August. And I want you to pray about it. We've identified a Hispanic pastor in the area that's been mentored by a pastor uh, locally. And he's a man of God who's got a great testimony. And we believe that it's possible that we could start We're praying about starting a church out of our Saggart site for Hispanics on Sunday mornings where a pastor and others would come and join together and we think it could run hundreds potentially right out of the gate, right here. And that's one of the things we're thinking about. Would you pray with us as we move forward? You say, this is a lot of stuff. No, it's not. Not if we look at reaching the kingdom. Not if we look at Jesus who has all power and all authority. First Chronicles 12, 32 says, the men of Issachar understood the times and knew what Israel should do. We have to understand the times and find out what the strategies are for us as we move forward. What is God saying? We don't do the same things the same way from here till Jesus comes. The methods are many. The principles are few. The methods can change, but the principles never do. And so we are are asking God to help us to reach our region, and we want to understand the times, and we want to move to the things that God is telling us to do. Acts 13.36 says this, For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, and he was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. I love that, that he served his purpose for his generation. I want to serve God's purpose for my generation. Do you want to serve God's purpose in your generation? His purpose for you? I believe he'll use you, and he'll use me, and he'll use us all in a significant way if we'll say yes to the opportunities that he's going to play, place before us. A third point here now is we're moving away from where we're touching the whole world and where we're thinking about going to the future and asking you to pray, still talking about the Great Commission. Here's the third thought that came from Jesus, that we're supposed to teach people to obey all of God's commands. You know, somehow that's been lost in our generation in America. We've decided you can't obey God's commands, so don't worry about it. Well, here's what Jesus said in the Great Commission. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded. That must mean that we're supposed to obey all he's commanded to the best of our abilities. Will we fall short? You probably will. But you're supposed to strive and you're supposed to try and you'll become more and more like Jesus every day and you can't obey commands. He's not putting something on us we can't obey and we're supposed to teach people the word of God and teach them to obey and that's the heart we carry. Now, I want you to take a look at that card that was placed on your seat when you came in. It says the four environments and it has um, four uh, icons on one side. I want to talk about that for just a moment. Some of you are familiar with this. But hey, this is a card that you can use to remind yourself of these things and place it in your wallet. If you see a Christian who's struggling, you might give this to them with these thoughts that I'm about to share and say, hey, think about these things. This is our discipleship plan. People say, well, we need a disciple around here. This is the discipleship plan right here. It's really simple. We do simple church around here because it's pretty simple to figure it all out. This is something that can happen here and potentially at other sites that we're, that, that we're considering as we move forward. But here are four things you need to do if you're, gonna, if you're going to thrive as a Christian. 
I didn't say be a Christian. You can be a Christian and, and perhaps not do any of this. I, I don't know. But you're not going to thrive as a Christian. And if you're going to thrive, these are basic biblical principles that need to be followed for you to do well. Here they are. And I, I'm going to change them to four B's today. I've never done that before. But, but as we look at the living room, I won't discuss all that today. But here's the first one. The living room... Be in church on a weekly basis. If you're gonna do well, you have to do what the Bible says. Jesus was in the temple on every Sabbath. He's our example. Paul and believers were in the temple on every Sabbath. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, don't neglect the meeting together of the saints. So that's one of the things you're gonna have to do if you're gonna do well. Hey, you're doing pretty well. You're here today. You're coming on a regular basis. That's good. That's, that's a biblical principle. And then there's the family room. That's in the Bible too. And that is to be in a small group weekly. Notice that it's spelled W-E-E-K, not W-E-A-K there. Be in a small group weekly. And you're going to hear more about the small groups that are coming before you. Now, why do you need to be in a small group? Because you need help. I need help. I need to be connected to believers who know where I hurt, who know what's happening in my life. I sometimes need prayer from my family. I need to be connected close enough to people where I can ask them to pray if there's a crisis. Pray about the everyday things. Pray about becoming a greater man of God. And if you're not connected with people, then you don't have the support you need. Now, think of it. 1,800 people who come here, nine pastors. We can't minister to all the needs and stay connected close enough to pray for everything specifically in people's lives that they need. But here's what the Bible says to pastors and leaders of the church that we're supposed to equip the saints for works of service. Just so you know, pastors aren't supposed to do all the work when it comes to praying for stuff. They're supposed to equip people to do the work. Works of service. And so that means that you're together with one another. You're visiting one another at the hospital. You're caring for people. You need that kind of support. And by the way, if you don't think you need it, we need you. People need you to support them. We need your touch when it comes to the, the study of the word and, 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 and the introducing of the word that'll be in these small groups. We need your perspective and we need your prayer and your support of other families that are around you. So be in a small group and then be in the word and in prayer daily. That's the kitchen that we talk about. That's why we have the horizon journals. The Bible says this book of the law should not depart of your mouth that you should meditate on it day and night. The Bible says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. These are things that we call disciplines, prayer and the word. It's great that you're here to eat as I spoon feed you today, the word of God. But what if you don't eat the rest of the week? You're gonna look pretty emasculated. You're gonna be really thin in an unhealthy way as a believer. And when you feed yourself, that's what we want is people to read the word and pray. And that's what those journals help express. And, and this is the discipleship plan, and, plan, rather, and the neighborhood. Be in service to God and humanity. We're talking a lot about that today. But be in service weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly at the very least. Find somewhere where you're plugging in with your gifts. You're not supposed to just be ministered to. You're not supposed to just be uh, one who receives. You're supposed to be one who produces as well. That's part of fruitfulness that the Bible talks about. And here's the deal. If you're not doing all four of those in your life, you're probably not thriving. You're not tapping into all of the riches that God would have for you. 
This is the discipleship plan. This is what we're trying to encourage. It's not 12 lesson plans that you finish and everything's good. It's a consistent lifestyle following the disciplines of God. And as you do that, you will be blessed. Now, I want to encourage you, when you see people that aren't involved in church and say, I'm good, everything's fine, I want to encourage you to just pull this out at some point. Say, hey, think about these things. This is what our church really believes, our pastor believes, is that if you really want to be blessed, I'll say this. Some people say, I'm trying to move fast and I'm stuttering here. Let's slow down a little bit. I hear people say, in times of crisis, God, where are you? And I want to be compassionate because there, you know, you can be really faithful to the Lord and have trouble and wonder where God is. But, but much of the time, I wonder if God just wouldn't want to speak back. I'm right here. Where are you? Where are you? I've told you in my word about some basic principles that will bless you, cover you, help you, encourage you. Where are you? And we say, but Lord... I want this girl more than I want you. I want this guy more than I want you. I need this job more than I need you. I need money, so I'm going to spend my time doing these things. I don't have time for those things. And then God, where are you when things go wrong? Well, God wants to bless your life. And he loves you. Listen, you don't have to do any of those things for God to love you. You don't have to. He loves you already. You love your kids when they're not doing right things or even when they do wrong things, right? You love them. But he wants to cover you. He wants to bless you. He wants to help you. And he would say to you, it's when you come close to me that I can embrace you. The Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And these are ways that we receive his covering and we feel his nearness and we know what to do and have his wisdom because we're walking in these things that he's asked us to do. It's part of our plan. Discipleship. When we do these things, he says, I am with you always. I want to end with this story about Earl Book. I know you've heard me talk about him before if you've been here much. Little guy about this high that blessed my life. Earl wanted to be, by the way, Earl's my middle name. Just thought of that. People say, how'd you get that name? I say, my mom was in labor, and they said, what do you want his name to be? And she didn't know, but since she was in labor, she went, oh! So I'm Stanley, oh! (laughs) Earl's not here this service, the other Earl, so I thought I could tell that. But I love Earl. I loved him. He's gone now. Earl wanted to be a missionary. But he had a physical medical condition, and I don't know what it was, but it kept him from going. They wouldn't let him go to a foreign land because he wasn't healthy enough. And so he started to pastor a little struggling church in a small town called Albany about 40 years ago. He pastored there for 28 years. The church grew, and his heart for missions was placed into the people. Earl gave 50% of his salary his whole life long to missions. When we were in Cambodia this week, we saw the impact of that church. That church went on to become one of the best giving and sending churches in America. 
giving up to $750,000 a year. They were about our size. And this was many, many years ago when they were doing this. And they're doing it today. That church started five satellite churches in their area. That church had a heart to reach their community, surrounding area in the world. When we were in Cambodia, we were in several large buildings that Albany had built in Cambodia. The missionary that was interpreting for me was from Albany First Assembly. And you've heard me say this before, but when Earl died, he, he used to meet with me once a month and just bless my life. He blessed this church. You don't even know how. Just covering me and helping me through those first 10 years. Just, just a giver with his life. At his funeral, he's in a casket up there and he's gone, but his voice comes over the intercom, over, over the sound system. Two days before he died, he recorded a message and said this, Hey guys, thanks for coming today. It was kind of spooky, you know. <laughs> said, I thought just one more thing before I go. If we could take a missions offering today, that'd be a real blessing to me. <laughs> At a funeral. So man, we all, everything we had went, you know, went in. And I, did, I think it was over $10,000 for missions at his funeral that was given. Earl gave his whole life to Jesus. And here's the deal. I want to be that guy. That's who I want to be. When it's all done and it's over, I want to say, I laid it on the line for Jesus. I want us to be that church. I know not that guy, not that church, but you're catching my heart. I want us to be the kind of people that that live beyond ourselves for eternity so that others might know. Know what? Know Jesus Christ is our personal Savior. So I beseech you today, Romans 12, 1. So brothers and sisters, since God has shown us great mercy, I beg you to offer your lives as living as a living sacrifice to him. Your offering must be only for God and pleasing to him, which is the spiritual way for you to worship.